Hi friend, welcome to episode 40 of Sally's Performing Arts Lab podcast. Today, my very talented daughter Emily and I are talking about writer's block and refueling the creative tank. She and her fiance, Beck, are visiting George and me on the river. So we have four people and three dogs in our little house. Pal podcast host, Sally Adams. Every week, I talk to people about creating original work for a live audience. Send an email anytime to sally at sallypal.com. Your ideas keep great conversations coming every week. Check out sallypal.com join for a cool free theater resource. It's never too late to sign up to have access to the Creator's Notebook. I'm interested in knowing what creators need as a performing arts resource. If there are things you want included in the Creator's Notebook, let me know by sending an email to sally at sallypal.com. I read them all. Be sure and listen until the end of the interview for concise advice from the interview and words of wisdom from George. Creative blocks are nothing new to writers, but all creators struggle from time to time with the problem of how to start or finish a work. And that is where we begin. I'm sitting here with my daughter, Emily Adams. Hello. I'm here. I'm present. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this with me. And hello, here is Theo. My dog. My grand dog. And she wants to play. She does. It's playtime. <laughs> Let's start with writer's block, because I think that leads into a conversation about refueling your creative tank. When I was in middle school, shout out to Miss Griffin, uh, I was in a writing group, like an after-school creative writing group that we formed ourselves called Writer's Block. Did writer's block ever make you think, I'm not clever? Like, just general writer's block? Yeah, have you run into that? I have run into writer's block a lot. I probably have a not great writing habit when it comes to getting out of writer's block, which we can get to in a little bit. Okay, but um, but you have had a pretty solid routine of writing every day. I try to write every day. Even if it's just like a sentence or two, I try to write every day. Sometimes I don't get to write every day, so if you're a writer and you're thinking, I have to write every day... It's fine if you don't write every day. Do not kill yourself to write every day. And during NaNoWriMo... Yes, during National Novel Writing Month, which is every November, I write 50,000 words in a month. But I gotta get myself real fired up, and then after that, I write hardly anything for all of December. It's kind of like going on a big diet for a wedding, and then once you're married, like, eat donuts. A little bit. A little bit. So, what was the question again? I'm sorry, we're drinking. We made Adam's Mai Tais, which are pineapple juice, maraschino cherry juice, rum, and uh, ginger ale. And I put a pineapple oh, ring in a maraschino so cherry. Good. <laughs> good, right? so good. They're pretty good, right? Pretty good. Very tasty. Very tasty. It's not as strong as it could be because I made them for three people. But. Yeah, that's cool. We were talking about writer's block and how has that affected you as a writer? Because I know as a creator, if you're a choreographer, if you're a composer, and I've run into it as a composer, and I don't put myself in the category of composer like John Williams style composer. I'm like a songwriter. Mm -hmm. So how has that affected your work? Have you had to set things aside? Yes, that's what I was saying when I said I don't have the best advice for people who have writer's block in terms of finishing the hat. 
because whenever I have writer's block, I write largely for myself. If you're a director or a choreographer or a composer or someone working on a deadline for a specific thing, my advice probably isn't going to help you very much. But my advice for whenever I have writer's block is I go and I work on something else. I set whatever I'm working on aside and I work on whatever I'm excited about. Because you have to always have something that you're excited about when it comes to your writing. And it may not always be the project that you're working on, but you need to work on the project that you are excited about because that will shine through in your work. And that's what will give you the best possible work. Actually, that's something that I heard at the, on the last episode from Tim Long. Mm -hmm. I, when I interviewed Tim Long and Jerome Johnson from Lodger Works, they said Stephen Schwartz, who's their mentor, suggested that they have... I don't know, four or five things going all the time. Yep. Because you are going to have moments where you can't move forward on a work. Um, George actually might be able to speak to that. Hey, George. George has a practice that he does. He's on his third novel right now, I think. He mulls over the character. He does. When he's working on the third book, I finally asked him what he's doing when he sets it aside and doesn't work on it for periods of time. Because sometimes he'll just be sitting there and he says, I'm thinking about it. I've read in places where a lot of authors will consider that thinking time, writing time. Mm -hmm. We're talking about your mulling time. When you set a work aside and you say, you know, you're mulling it over and it's part of your writing routine. Can you say anything about that? So I can drink. <laughs> Occasionally when I get to a place in my writing where I need to be organized to go forward, that slows me down more than anything. My normal writing style is just to write and see what happens and let the story tell itself. But at a certain point, especially in a mystery, need more than just the telling of the story. So I have to stop and sometimes stopping isn't just for a few moments. Sometimes it takes a while for the clarity to occur. And that can be sitting and looking out a window. It can be... Reading other books. Well, it can, yes, it, it can I mean, indeed be yeah. reading other books and seeing what other authors have done, putting together the same kind of storytelling that I'm doing. And sometimes it can just be closing your eyes and writing in your brain. I do the writing in my brain when I'm in the shower. Like, I'll be in the shower and I'll just be thinking, this scene goes like this, and they're going to say this to each other. And and then I get out of the shower and I get to my computer and I'm like, what What was that? <laughs> what, <laughs> what was I going to say? I just think there was something there. Right, and I, worse yet is after I've gotten up in the middle of the night to uh, take a comfort break and I return <laughs> to the bed <laughs> and I come back and I close my eyes and I think, well, I know what I need to do to get back to sleep. I'll start plotting and problem solving for my book. If indeed I'm successful in coming up with something, then uh, inevitably I can't remember it in the morning when I wake up. <laughs> Although, you know, Tim Long said something interesting when he was talking to us also. One of his bits of advice was a good idea won't go away. It won't leave you. I agree with that because I've, I've had, Beckett can tell you, whenever we watch a new thing, I'll be like, I want to write something like this. I'm always coming up with ideas, especially after reading a new book or watching a new movie or starting a new television show. I'm always thinking, I could write this, which I think is a powerful tool for the writer to have. But frequently, you will start thinking, I can write this, and then if it's not a good idea, it'll go away. And you'll stop thinking, I need to write this. Like, you don't need to write The Next Princess Bride. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's no need for you to write anything like The Office. Yeah. <laughs>
There's just not. If you have a good and solid enough idea, which um, I'm currently fleshing one out right now that is actually coming from my background of watching cooking shows, then, um, then it's a good idea and it's not going to go away. Beckett's making Italian chef kissing gestures because he is, he is very fond of this idea. Another way that I get out of writer's block is I talk and 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 talk about my ideas. It's so, in my opinion, it is invaluable for you to have someone in your life you can talk about your writing ideas with. I've talked about it with my mom, and now that I'm not living with my mom, I talk about it with Beckett. And I still talk about it with my I mom know, as well. I know, that's cool. And it's nice when one of your kids or a friend who writes will call you up and say, hey, can I read something to you? And that happens. Emily does it, Will does it. Of course, I listen to George's novel. And then my friend Sheila, who's a poet, she's been on the show before, also does it from time to time. It's, and it's lovely. I get free entertainment that way. There's something you and Beckett do, though, that I think is really interesting that is probably more your generation than mine, mm -hmm. and that is you write fan fiction. Yes, we do. Out of this. <laughs> <laughs> but fan fiction is, for you, kind of a way to fan fiction, step aside from your I work. <laughs> I like fan fiction because there is an already an established universe, so you don't have to take a ton of time and tell people these are who the characters are, this is who you should care about, and this is what the setting is like. You don't have to do that with fan fiction. I normally, my fan fictions are a thousand words or less. I write very, very short pieces of fan fiction because I just need to get an idea out that's not gonna fit in any of my other works. Yeah, like I'll think, oh, this would be a great scene. It won't fit anywhere. I don't have anywhere I can put this. I'm just, fan fiction. Hey, Undertale, who's ready? <laughs> <laughs> and there's no world building and exposition for fan fiction. Yeah, there's not. I love the idea that there's something you can just go to. I know a lot of people keep a journal or, um, you I've know. I've never been able to journal. But that's, that's yeah, my you, age group. Yeah, you do you journal. Know? I've I've never been able to, but you, you've kept pretty extensive journals yeah, over the years. Yeah, I think that's... That may be a generational thing, too, because I know a lot of people my age do. Do you ever do Do you ever do slam anymore? I don't do slam so much anymore. Slam is definitely a very emotional art form, and I, I think that anyone who is in the slam scene, I very much admire you for being able to tap into your extreme emotions so regularly. It's not a healthy place for me to be all the time, so I don't do a ton of slam anymore. So let's talk about that in relation to your writing, because when you create characters and you get involved in their world and they mm -hmm. become real to you, get that... to the end and you know you have to finish it, mm -hmm. isn't that one of the hard things that pops up? No, because I write the ending first. Oh, I forgot that you did that. Not everybody do. does I that. Write, I write out of order. I will almost always write the ending when I'm about halfway through the book. Okay. I need to make sure all the characters are set up and I know where it's going. Sometimes it's not even until I'm two-thirds or even three-quarters of the way through the book that I write the ending, but I never write the ending at the ending. Do you do that with plays as well? Um, I know where plays are going, but I write plays much faster than I write books. So I don't really have the time to write the ending because then I feel like, oh, it's done. Plays are just a different animal to me. Well, speaking of plays, you're getting ready to submit one. I uh, am. I'm and doing some editing on one right now. You're returning to a play that was a very emotional play for you. It was. Mm -hmm. And now you're looking at it a little differently. When I take my first pass at editing anything, I have not looked at it for a month at minimum. And that's when I do my first pass at it. That's when I catch most of my grammar stuff. That's when I tighten it up a little bit. When I do my second pass at editing, that can be anywhere from six months to years after I've written the thing. I'm editing a book right now that I wrote, gosh, I finished it five years ago, four years ago. 
somewhere in there. I finished it years ago and I'm just now getting to my second pass at editing it because it offers you the distance from the characters. When you are writing, when you are writing something that is really good and that you feel really strongly loving and passionate towards, you are not able to look at it afterwards and see what doesn't work. Because to you, it Everything all works. works. It's it all, all works. It's beautiful and lovely and wonderful. Yeah. However, when you get back to it years after, and I mean it does take years if you really if you really love the work, it's gonna take a long time, then you have the benefit of the intervening experience of your life and the distance from the work itself, and you are able to say, okay, this character doesn't work, this doesn't fit, this doesn't make any sense, this scene could be better, this scene is really good. Sometimes you'll read through your work again and be like, wow, this scene is really awesome, I did a great job with this. When before you were probably questioning When, when before it, you were like, oh yeah, this is just as good as everything else. Yeah, it's all the same. Mm. There's something to be said for setting your work aside and letting yourself grow and that's that's more about growth than refueling. I mean, they're they're similar. But when you return to it and it's you're not so emotionally attached to everything, you're more of a storyteller at that point. But an idea is easy and the execution is hard. Oh, that is so true. And that writer's block shows up. I think as creators, we have what we perceive in our minds as what could be the work. Yep. And then we set about to creating that and we don't feel up to the task. I think that's due to a lot of things. Maybe you do need a little maturity. Maybe you need to refine your skills. Maybe you need information or research. But sometimes you just have to set it aside. Well, and maybe something. sometimes something just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing. It's hard to let that go. You're not the one to write it. You're not the one to write it. So when you let something go... How do you think about it? Do you feel like it's a huge failure? I treat it as a writing exercise. I look at it and I say, okay, I tried that. It didn't work. Now I know it doesn't work. Then I move on to the next thing. So it's you part of your education. Yeah, you can't let yourself get bogged down. That'll stop you It'll for sure. It'll stop you in your tracks from creating anything else. Yeah, definitely. Like there's no faster way to kill your creative drive than comparing yourself to yourself. I think that's why it's so great to work with students, whether as a teacher or a mentor, you know, if you're an artist in schools. I think it's really important that we nurture young creators because that reminds us of who we once were when we were passionate, but also not quite mature enough to see what you're talking about, what works and what doesn't. I think there's a lot to be said for that passion that comes when every word you write is precious, every dance move you create is the best, and you don't judge yourself as harshly as you do later on when you sometimes get stuck. I stopped judging myself harshly. How'd you do, how'd you get there? I'm likely not going to be the next JK Rowling or the next David Sedaris. David Sedaris is someone that you have admired for, for a very, very long time. And you've seen I, him live I twice. Read, I read Me Talk Pretty one day when I was 13 and I've been in love with it, with him and all of his works ever since. And I've seen him live twice. And just yesterday we realized that you actually were introduced to David Sedaris when you were like four years old. Mm -hmm. From the video game Chop Suey, there's a couple of Let's Plays on YouTube if you want to watch it. It was very formative to who I am as an artist, I yeah. think now. A prototype of the art video game, Yeah. because art video games are very popular now, but like a, if you go on Steam, you can find tons of art video games, indie video games. I'm thinking things like um, Brave, things like A Story About My Uncle, things like Bird Story, things like, not quite Undertale, but things in that similar vein where it's like, 
one person making one video game that is beautiful. And that's creative and, and creative different. And different, and that's yeah. the art video game. And Chop Suey was kind of the prototype to the art video game. It was made by three people, with David Sedaris doing the voice. Yeah, and you were about four years old when we first got that from your uncle. Shout out to Lewis and Jerry. Yes. Thank you for introducing the kids to some really cool stuff early on. Yeah. Because they sent you those videos of theater works mm-hmm. and I think they knew somehow yeah. they knew that we were going to be artists I don't know they were very concerned with your cultural education it seems like <laughs> and I was so appreciative oh it was awesome yeah we I had mean, so many great videos from them I played so many good video games growing up like Chop Suey which was amazing and we had beautiful and beautiful we had Pharaoh which was one of the most fun games I've still ever played. Yeah. George um, had Mist, which of course everybody. I couldn't get into Mist. I tried very hard, but I tried it when I was like eight, and I was not smart enough to understand oh, Mist. Yeah, I got you. And what is a belly button? That was what pretty is cool. A, I was about to say, what is a belly button? And the sound effect that has stuck with me for my entire life. Do you see video games ever evolving to a place where you can include a live audience in a video game event? Because we talk about live audience things here on the podcast, and well, Twitch and Twitch? stuff, which is a live Twitch and stuff. Twitch, it's just called Twitch. Okay, um, which is a, a live, <laughs> it's a live streaming service that people do video games on. Or okay. there's things like Let's Plays that can be done live. Um, well, what if you have a multiplayer game? Would that be considered an audience? I don't think so because if it's a multiplayer game, then inherently everyone's on stage. Like there's no okay. one really in the audience. Okay, Twitch streams someone's desktop and then you have someone who's controlling the whole thing sometimes sometimes it's just people who are all talking but twitch can stream a desktop and then they have people who can be watching and commenting and there's like a little chat box off to the side that people can comment are they just watching are they watching a game they're watching someone they're watching someone play video games and is that person aware that they're performing? Yes. So are there people who are particularly good at this performing in this way? Yes, there are people who make their livings off of off of Twitch. Like they're, really? they're Twitch stars. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. How do you refuel your tank when you feel like, okay, I'm out of ideas or I'm exhausted or I'm tired of writing? How do you get back to it? I will watch a good movie. I will watch a play. I will read something new. I will watch a television show. I will play a video game. I will experience someone else's creativity and that helps to put more creativity into me. Do you do it because you think, well, I could do that, or do you do it because that's what George does? He reads something terrible and he says, I can do better than when that. When it's terrible, yes. When I watch something terrible, I generally don't read something terrible because I will. I am one of the people who will put it down if it's 50 pages in and I hate it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to finish it. Mm-hmm. But if it's a movie or a play or something, I can give an hour and a half to that. I did that after watching August Osage County. We went to go see August Osage County when it was in Tulsa. And it was a wonderful, it was amazing. wonderful it was great show. show. But you were actually struggling with a family story of your own mm-hmm. and trying to figure out how to express this. And after seeing that show, it was like you just came home and spit it out in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. It was amazing how fast that came out of you. It just And was it that seeing out. that play that kind of made you think, okay, this is the It was seeing a play that had a seemingly pretty mundane on paper, but it was award-winning. It was coming off of Broadway. Before watching that, I thought there was no way that people would be interested we're all doing this for validation. I thought there is no way <laughs> that people were going to be interested in this horrible family story that I had in my head. And after seeing that and seeing people so affected by it, I was like, okay, I can do it. 
Yeah, and, and now, I stole the concept of a climactic dinner scene. Yeah, that from was, August Osage but it County worked. As well. it, worked. it worked very well. It worked. But it was wonderful. that's my biggest homage to August Osage County is the climactic dinner scene. And of course, you know, you have scenes floating around in colleges being produced. I do, for, which is kind of cool. It got picked up by one group of people, and then another group of people, and another group, and. So now that it's being performed at the college festivals, but it's just like one or two scenes. You're you're really not allowed to cut stuff. I mean, you have to have writer and publisher's permission, permission yeah. and all of that stuff. And it takes a lot to get that. But you've made it available for at least for friends uh-huh. to use cuttings for college and you don't don't put any of those restrictions on them. No, I tell them, if you're going to change something major, let me know. And I'll cut stuff down if you need me to. But in general, if you're going to change a word or two here and there, I don't care. Why can't I reverse genders on this? Mm-hmm. Why can't I set this somewhere else? Yeah, Why are you being such a tightwad about your work? Well, it's it's the it's, evolution of the creative process that's or the, the thing. creative piece. I'm of the opinion that once something is written, that you have written and you have put it out there in the world, it's not yours anymore. Interesting. But of course, not everybody feels that way. Well, like if it's someone's rule, follow it. You can think whatever you want, but still follow the rule. Mm -hmm. How else should we refuel the tank? You do it by watching. Sorry, I'm eating my pineapple now. This is delicious. It's so good, right? It really is. Okay. So you refuel by reading a book or seeing a play or watching a... watching a piece of media or by experiencing someone else's creativity or by re-experiencing my own creativity. I'll read through something that is a completed work of mine and be like, oh, well, that's pretty good. And it's one of those things that you have to have been given distance from. Well, especially if you have something that's been rejected. Like I had that piece that was rejected by the New York Musical Theater Festival. It was before I knew anything about how to submit. I mean, I followed all the rules, of course, but now I know more. Not that I'll resubmit that piece. When you get that rejection letter, you go into a tailspin. I don't know if everybody does, but I did. Of, oh, I suck at this. This is terrible. I'm never doing this again. And then you return and you look at a couple of things and you think, okay, there's some good here. I'm not terrible at this. Yeah. I could take another shot at it, but maybe not with that work. Maybe I go to another work and learn from it. Like you said, it's part of the education. I mean, I think it's important for you to be able to look back at your past works and see them in the light of, I wrote this when I was not nearly as good of a writer as I am now, and this is pretty good. There you go. And sometimes an idea is just not working. Sometimes you're writing something and you'll get 50,000 words in and you'll be like, This is just not working. I have rewritten one book like three times now. One thing you do that I think refuels the traveling is traveling. I love traveling. I love traveling and I love talking to strangers while I travel. And that's a way to refuel the tank, too, because you've used so so much of that experience in your writing, I think. I've traveled across the United States. I took two and a half months and I traveled to 41 states and then I took another week and I traveled to the last seven. I also stayed in the northern part of Florida on the ocean in this little campground that was near, I saw some alligators in the water. Like it was not an amazing, beautiful campground and it was Oh, there were alligators in the water at the campground? I saw them in the distance. Oh, that would be a little... I didn't tell you about that. (laughs) I'm kind of glad you didn't. Yeah. But I stayed there and I went to a mermaid show that day. I went to this little tiny park. I went and saw the Wiki Watchy Mermaids and they did Little Mermaid in this dingy, tiny, moldy smelling theater that was next to a gigantic water tank full of women in mermaid tails. 
underwater <laughs> doing this show. And it was hilarious and it was amazing and it felt very real. I think that's so true when you go to those places that are unusual, off the beaten path. Because it really Oh, travel that. and go somewhere weird. Oh, please travel and go somewhere weird. Don't travel and just go to the hotel and go to the family reunion and go to the Denny's. Olive Garden. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. You are doing yourself such a disservice when you travel and you don't do anything that hasn't been done by every single person going through that town. Go to atlasobscura.com. And search for the city you're going to be in and find something weird to do. And you will come away so inspired. No matter what you do, you will come away feeling like you have grown as an artist because you have something that not everyone has done. And that could even be in your town. Yeah. Any advice? Travel. Do weird stuff. Don't feel like you need to work on one thing for months and months and months and nothing else. Because if you get stuck on that and you feel like you're not allowed because of your own rules to work on something else, then you're not going to do anything. And you're just going to feel miserable. Work on a bunch of different genres of stuff at once. Work on a comedy and be working on a drama and be working on a play and be working on a poetry chapbook and be um, working on a bunch of different kinds of things. Like a movement piece and a puppet show and a... Yeah, you know. work on a sci-fi and work on a fantasy at the same time. I think that's great advice. Whatever works, if you are a creator, and that means you, the person listening to this podcast, you are the creator. And if you are the creator, then you owe it to yourself to feed your creative part. Bits. Bits. <laughs> feed your creative bits to the alligators. I saw alligators, and I saw a bear at one campsite. I know about the bear. I told you, because I called you about the bear, because I got to my campsite, and it was very late, and I saw a bear, and I was like, I can't do this. There's a bear. <laughs> There's a bear, and I called you, and Mom was like, I'm sending you money so you can go to a motel. Yes. Don't please, not, do please not stay with the bear. Do not camp out with a bear. That's just not a good idea. I'm glad you took my advice. Thank you for joining me. Yeah. I love doing this with you. I feel like I'm kind of a regular on the show. I know you are. You're a regular. (laughs) I love you all. And thank you so much for listening. And I appreciate your patience with the show. And if you are following the show, I cannot tell you how much that means. It's fantastic. I think we have over 1,500 followers now. Leave a review on iTunes. Yeah, do leave a review on iTown. iTown. Come to iTown. It's my new (laughs) iTunes knockoff, and it's going to be so much better. Please leave a review on iTunes. (laughs) I don't think I have very many. Go to iTown.com. No, do not go to iTown. (laughs) Leave a review on iTunes because that is the only way for this podcast to grow. And tell your friends because... Word of mouth is the way that Because that's the other only way for this podcast to grow. Well, there's two ways for this podcast to grow. The only ways is only two. (laughs) Leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends because that is the way for... Word of mouth is the best way for podcasts to grow. It's now time for Concise Advice from the Interview, where I share bits of advice from Emily Adams. Number 12, always have something to work on that excites you. Number 11, give yourself 
Mulling time. Number 10. A good idea won't leave you. Number 9. Have someone in your life with whom you can share your ideas. Number 8. Fan fiction and journaling can be good ways to get ideas out of your head. Number 7. Wait a month before your first pass at editing your work. Number 6. Treat your unfinished work as an exercise rather than a failure. Number 5. Enjoy someone else's creativity to fill your creative tank. Number four, re-experience your own creativity. Distance will help you see it in a new light. Number three, travel somewhere weird and do weird stuff. Number two, don't work on one thing for months and months and months. And the number one piece of advice from Emily Adams, playwright and novelist. Feed your creative bits. That's it for concise advice from the interview. Check out the blog, sallypal.com, for articles and podcast episodes. You too can be a Sally Pal. Sign up for a free creator's notebook insert at sallypal.com slash join. Thank you for following, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, joining, and thank you for listening. Now I have one bit of wisdom from my husband, George, the coolest guy on the planet. George, what's your wisdom for today? Don't be discouraged. Sometimes it's the last key in the bunch that opens the lock. Well said, George. Well said. Excellent advice indeed. If you're downloading and listening on your drive to work or falling asleep to my internet musings like my sister does, let me know you're out there. I want you to pursue your dream and share your stories. Storytelling through plays, dances, music, and other types of performances is the most important thing we do as a culture. That's why I encourage you to share your stories because you're the only one with your particular point of view. And Sally Pal is here with resources, encouragement, and a growing community of storytellers. I want to help you tell your stories. All the stories ever expressed once lived only in someone's imagination. Now, feed your creative bits. And Sally Pal is here with Reese. Oh my God, really? My regular guest, Emily Adams, and her fiance, Beckett Adelman, and my husband, George Nelson, who is a bed. Who is a bed. He's a bed? Creative lock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I should have been able to do this or this. I came up with this idea and I dedicated so much time to it and it didn't work and I'm going <laughs> to. That's embarrassing. I hope nobody ever finds out how I actually live. <laughs> Please don't tell people how I live. <laughs> yeah, I was shocked too.
So what was the question again? I'm sorry, we're drinking. <laughs> You've revealed the secret we should never say. <laughs> I'll do this scripted later. It's 945, listener. And if you like this podcast, share it. Yes. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> I'm going to censor myself like a TV movie. <laughs> Roses are red, violets are blue. Emily's not allowed to say the F word. Listen to Sally Pal. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, goodbye. Fuck advertising. I'm sorry. (laughs) Funk advertising. (laughs) 